Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Let's open tonight's program with everyone's favorite and bizarrely recurring segment, Stu Does Idiots Gluing Themselves to Things. Yes, let's hop over to the exotic uh, locale of Milan in Italy and see what idiots are gluing themselves to things there. Oh yeah, it's a BMW, hand-painted by Andy Warhol himself in 1979. And a bunch of dopey environmentalist extremists have covered it with flour. A truly devastating attack that makes me think to myself, does nobody remember the post-9-11 anthrax attacks anymore? It seems uh, like a good way to get yourself shot by a security guard who's had mail duties, uh, mail screening duties too many times. But I do know what you're thinking, of course. Stu, those idiots didn't glue themselves to anything. Why are they involved in this incredible segment that you do so often? Well, I'm glad you asked. Keep your attention on the bottom left. Mm-hmm. See, and someone is doing, what are they doing? There it is, hand meets glue, glue meets floor. Like a true look rookie has not considered their future bathroom options. Oh no, here's the problem. I don't think they quite, quite thought this out uh, well enough because she had to clear the flower away just so that, that she just dumped on the car so she could glue herself to the floor. And why would she have to clear the flower away? Well, I think that's obvious. Because, you know, the problem is you can't, you can't glue yourself to flour. I mean, you can glue yourself to flour, but it's not gonna stick to the floor. Ladies and gentlemen, we have uh, hit the end game stages of liberal idiocy. That dude lifted her sad carcass off the floor like she wasn't even remotely glued to anything because of course she wasn't. That's not how glue or flour works. Now, surely this was the end of this embarrassing display, right? No. If at first you don't succeed, try, try again to glue your body to a surface that has been covered in a thick layer of baking ingredients. The video ends before we really see the end of this, but we can only assume somebody 300 style kicked her ass off the gallery floor shortly thereafter. Why? Why do these idiots continue to perform incoherent acts of terrorism while attempting to spread a message that's just as incoherent as their protests? I'm sure the TikTok likes are pouring in, of course, but one of these days, someone might actually cause some damage to a priceless work of art. Probably not anytime soon, judging by their recent efforts, but everyone gets lucky sometimes and I'm worried. And how the hell are these people continuing to smuggle in bags of groceries? I don't, step it up, security, your generic international museum security team, step it up. And to the environmentally obsessed losers of the world, I, I beg you, please, please, just go back to eating Tide Pods. Stu does America. TV.com, blazetv.com slash stew. Uh, use the promo code stew. You're watching on YouTube right now. Well, then just click like or click follow or click the bell. Do something. I think we're going to do a Q&A, election Q&A tomorrow. Uh, we've been kind of pushing it off for the last few days. But uh, go to YouTube.com slash America and subscribe and check it out with us. You can ask your questions about the, Olymp- uh, the election. Gregory Wrightstone joins us to talk about our impending environmental apocalypse or lack thereof. 
Joe Biden celebrates a big birthday and he's very old. And we start, though, by doing the price of victory. You know, the, the election, we're soon only a couple days away from Thanksgiving and we'll be able to leave this election behind until, of course, we get back and there's immediately a Senate election. That's vitally important in Georgia. But we have been looking back at kind of what's been going on with the election and how to think about it. And, you know, there's this weird thing going around, basically, that the Democrats are celebrating. They're they're taking victory laps. They're saying what an amazing job they did. And really, you know, did they did they really do all that well? I mean, they lost the House. Their situation now is obviously worse than it was before the election. And why are they bragging so much? Because they outperformed historical norms? I mean, is that really how we judge these things? You know, I don't know. Maybe. Maybe that's what we do. But I was thinking about this a little bit because there is this idea that abortion was a big factor in the election. And maybe it was the biggest uh, factor in uh, lowering the expectations of of what Republicans wound up doing when they took the House, but uh, barely, and didn't take the Senate. There's an article out in, uh, or a piece out in Politico magazine, Republicans paid a price for overturning Roe. It may have been worth it. This echoes something that I've been talking about for a while on this show, ever since this thing came out and people started saying, well, maybe Republicans will lose the House, they'll lose the Senate. Okay. I mean, if the, if the effect of reversing a policy that's responsible for 63 million people that should be alive and aren't, if that the price is an election or two, okay. That's kind of the way I've been thinking about it. But we should go back to the beginning here and think about, was abortion the cause for what actually went on with Republicans this election cycle? I mean, there is some evidence that points to this. The New York Times has been pushing this quite a bit. And it's 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 not a thesis with zero backing evidence. The idea is basically in states where abortion was... Uh, up for grabs. It was the type of thing where you were in a state where it could change. Uh, Maybe abortion was on the ballot. Maybe uh, you were in a purple state where going red might make abortion more restricted. In those states, Republicans tended to perform worse. However, in states where abortion wasn't really in doubt, either bright red states or bright blue states, or states that had already finished up uh, their abortion policy debate, you saw Republicans do much better. Some examples of that. New York. New York. Republicans did incredibly well in New York for an election. And that's, you know, in this theory's uh, eyes, a result of the fact that obviously abortion was not going away in New York. There was no chance of abortion uh, being restricted in any meaningful way. And therefore, people didn't vote on abortion. Uh, in Virginia, there was no gubernatorial election going on. There wasn't a real discussion about abortion there. Republicans did pretty well. In Florida, where they passed a law already about a 15-week abortion ban, uh, well, Republicans did very well there as well. Texas, well, there's no, it, it already been decided. There was really not, abortion wasn't really on the ballot. Republicans did very well. A place like Pennsylvania, where it was sort of on the ballot. People were talking about it. It was a, a, a purple state where it was going back and forth. You did see some issues where Republicans performed particularly poorly. Is there something to this? Now, I, I want to uh, talk about the 15-week the, the abortion uh, thing for a second here. This is Florida. And I do think we should th- stop and think a little bit about this. Is this the right way to go? We saw Lindsey Graham try to get out in front of this and say, hey, 15-week abortion ban nationwide. And that was that was uh, taken by the media to, to say that Republicans were asking for a nationwide abortion ban. And like while technically that was true and would probably restrict 
abortion rights in places like California and New York. It was a fallback position from what many Republican states want, which is something much, much more restrictive. And you have to look at this and say, well, let's look at the actual uh, let's look at the actual evidence here. Don't believe in media narratives. Is this actually true? I think there's a lot of different things that caused the Republicans to underperform a little bit in this election. But is abortion one of them? It's possible. I just don't think there's inc- an incredible amount of uh, evidence to support that it was the determinative factor. But it, it's in the bucket of reasons why you might uh, think that Republicans did more poorly. But did Republicans win all these elections? Well, no, they didn't win all of them. They could have done... They could have done better. Everybody expected them to do better. Why didn't they do better? Well, more fundamental than that is the question of why do you win elections in the first place? Why bother? Why do we try to win elections? Why do we care if we lose them? Well, I mean, we don't win elections so that Nancy Pelosi can get another year of $200,000 a year in salary. That's not why we try to win elections. We try to win elections for policy victories. We try to win elections to support the principles that we hope will do the best things for the country. Uh, Principles like freedom or principles like the Second Amendment or principles like, I don't know, life. Isn't that one of the biggest ones? I mean, if you want to sit back and say, wait a minute, why do we try? Why do we attempt to win elections every two or four or six years? You try to win them to get things like getting Roe versus Wade overturned. That's the whole point. If you're going to worry about losing an election after that, why did you try to win it in the first place? We can win a lot of elections if we never do anything. We can win a lot of elections if we never take a controversial stance. We can win a lot of elections if what we do is just take the other side's viewpoints and further them a little bit slower. That's no big, that's no big thing. Why would we care about that? You know, I mean, there's this issue where Everyone kind of promoted this idea of a, a red wave, a red tsunami. I never bought into the red tsunami thing. I, 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 it might just be because I am more skeptical and, generally speaking, don't think good things are going to happen. But, uh, you know, I never, I never believed we were going to get 55 or 56 Senate seats. I never thought that was a realistic possibility. But, you know, I thought 52, 53 was realistic. And I think it was. That, they were winnable races there. But... That way, that red wave didn't really materialize. Now, when you're comparing it to what people were saying a week before the election, that seems to be the only thing that people look at when they think of how the election went. Well, what was our perception seven days before Tuesday? Well, the perception was Republicans are going to do well, so we're very disappointed by the results. However, if you use the perception that was out there in the summer, you would say, wow, Republicans actually did very well. They actually won the House. That was unexpected. And uh, the Senate, well, they didn't quite get there, but it was close. You know, it all, it's all a, a, mem- a function of what your perception is going into the race. And for whatever reason, everyone kind of started thinking, OK, it's red tsunami land. And when that didn't happen, everyone looked for the thing to blame. And maybe the thing to blame is abortion. But let's not let, let, let's just let's just take it at its face value and say, yes, abortion was the, the number one cause by a lot. And that was the reason why Republicans lost this midterm election. OK. This is a 50-year goal. 50 years of work went into overturning Roe versus Wade. A half century. You wouldn't give up a midterm election in which, by the way, you still won the House. You wouldn't give up one two-year period without a, a, a few more senators. 
Why, why even bother fighting these battles if when you achieve them, you have to apologize for losing a couple of Senate seats, if that's even truly to blame? Now, a ton of Democrats paid their political lives for passing Obamacare. They stood up there. They got those majorities. They got 60 seats in the Senate. And they pushed through Obamacare even after one of their guys uh, was uh, voted out. Well, he was voted out in a more existential sense. But when they voted Scott Brown in as a Republican to stop Obamacare from going through, they pushed it through anyway. Nancy Pelosi came out and said, you're going to have to pass it until you figure out what's in it. And then she said, we're going to pole vault over everything just to make sure this thing gets done. And everybody sucked it up and they said, you know what? This is important. We care about it. We've been fighting about it forever. We finally have the power to do it. Let's do it. And they did it. And you know what happened in the 2010 elections? They had the biggest wave election in history. They got destroyed They got absolutely murdered in the 2010 elections. And then they got it again in 2014, largely based on the same issue. And you know what? They stuck to their guns. Why? Because they actually cared about getting this done. It wasn't about elections for them. They had a a progressive worldview that they wanted to get implemented no matter what the cost was. So they sucked it up and pushed it through. And they took people that were in power. And when they lost, they said, sorry. And the people who lost said, And that was for a good cause. We got to get there because if we can't take the the uh, overturning of Roe versus Wade as a massive, massive policy win and say maybe there are consequences to that in the short term. But you know what else are consequences? What what we're talking about when we talk about consequences, we're talking about children living. That's a positive consequence of what's been going on here. And, you know, the early reports are tens of thousands of babies that would not have been born previously are being born now. That's a wonderful accomplishment. Is there a bigger one? If you go back the last century of Republicans, have they accomplished anything else of that magnitude? I mean, maybe ending the Cold War. I guess maybe you'd say that, although that one kind of still seems to be bubbling up a little bit in a different form. Look, abortions are still occurring in this country. It's not the ideal place that Republicans want this issue, but I don't know. It's a 50-year goal, and it happened. And it's a major, major accomplishment. And there may be some political fallout from that. So what? The right thing to do is the right thing to do. Do you believe these things, or are you trying for power? Do you believe that people should have the right to live their lives, or are you just trying to win an election? What do you believe? If you believe, well, you know, this is a fun, essentially a, uh, you know, an NFL game that happens once a year and you're trying to win it. I can understand why you'd say, oh, well, then don't don't talk about abortion. I can understand why you do that. But the truth is, we're talking about 63 million lives. And if you care about those lives, then you should care about what you can do to stop them from ending prematurely. And, you know, sometimes the right thing to do does not pay off right away. I mean, look. We all agree, I think, that Obamacare was the wrong thing to do. But liberals stood up for that. And eventually it became an understood uh, uh, part of the game. Even though I still think it's a terrible policy, I think it does, does tons of damage. The Democrats aren't really paying a huge price for that anymore. If anything, you know, a lot of people now, if you took it away from them, they'd be upset. So sometimes you have to stick by your guns, even if it costs you elections. And that's why the final question we'll ask tonight, was it worth it? Was it worth 50 years of effort? Was it worth losing 
an election or two or three or five? Was it worth going through all this trouble, raising all this money, trying to raise awareness, working through the Federalist uh, project and trying to get Supreme Court justices that understood the Constitution uh, the way the founders did to say, wait a minute, you can't do this like this. If you want to try to do this, you have to do it a totally different way. Was it worth all of that effort to make sure that abortion went away, or at least, at the very least, we had that conversation? Remember, the previous circumstance was we weren't allowed to argue about it because no matter what we said, they would say, well, it's the Supreme Court already decided this long ago. Here we are in a situation where we can make these determinations for ourselves. A state like Texas can make what you know, I would say is the sensible decision and restrict this. But other states are doing what they want to do. Was it worth all that effort to get this outcome? The answer is a resounding yes. All right, if you're a carnivore, my guess is you like knowing where your meat comes from. Well, when you order it through Moink, that is a uh, place. What, what place is this? It's a small family farm. It's across the country. It's maybe in your uh, area. It's someone who is a small farmer who is trying to do the best way. They're trying to do this the best way that they possibly can. Um, you can help save, save family farms and get access to the highest quality meat on earth when you join the Moink movement today. Moink delivers grass-fed and grass-finished beef and lamb, pastured pork and chicken, and sustainable wild-caught Alaskan salmon straight to your door. Moink farmers farm like our grandparents did, and as a result, the meat tastes like it should because the family farm does it better. Uh, I don't, I'm, not, I'm the guy who cooks uh, meat for my kids. I don't eat meat myself, uh, but they do, and my, my wife does. I'm the guy in the grill. I'm doing that. And I can tell you, they, they notice the difference every time we have something from Moink Box because it's the best you can get. The Moink difference is a difference you can taste and you're helping family farms stay independent. Keep America farming by going to moinkbox.com stew. Right now, uh, you can get uh, free filet mignon in every order for a year. It's a pretty good deal. Uh, one year of the best filet mignon you'll ever taste. Come on. What are you gonna, you're not going to beat that. It's only for a limited time, though. Spelled M-O-I-N-K, moinkbox.com slash stew, moinkbox.com slash stew. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible because we're already doing it all while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. I'm happy to welcome Gregory Wrightstone back to the program. He is the executive director of the CO2 Coalition and the author of Inconvenient Facts, the science that Al Gore doesn't want you to know. And you can pick that up wherever books are sold. Greg, how's it going? Oh, good. Uh, busy, busy, busy. I'm uh, actually still at my home in Florida where I lost part of my roof during the last hurricane, Hurricane Ian, so uh, it's to be repaired next week. So I'm one of the victims. Oh, well, I'm, I'm sorry to hear that for sure. I, I'm, I'm sure you're happy to hear that the uh, our betters uh, all gathered at, at COP27 to make sure this would never happen to you again. That's a relief, I got to tell you. <laughs> hey, because before we, I know we're going to go there, but I, after Hurricane Ian hit, I looked at the long-term data on hurricanes, landfalling hurricanes going back to 1850 to find that landfalling hurricanes have been in decline 
1850. I looked at every state along the Gulf, Gulf Coast and Eastern Seaboard. Every state except Mississippi showed a decline since 1850 in landfalling hurricanes. So uh, despite what is being alleged. That, it, it is interesting because I think that's the one thing that would actually move people. You know, people aren't going to move uh, over a you know, seven centimeter increase in sea levels over you know, 50 years. But like if these storms really were hitting us and doing more damage than ever before and causing more havoc than ever before, and not just because we decided to build more buildings on the coast because we enjoy living on the coast, but because it was really doing more damage, I think people would be, you know, much more open to the global warming alarmist argument. The problem is that, you know, whether it comes to uh, droughts or uh, or floods or hurricanes or tornadoes, none of the data proves this out. Yeah, and actually, we we just exposed the UN report. Oh, it's probably been two months ago that came out that alleged there was a five-fold increase in natural disasters since 1970. Well, my alarm bells started going off when I got. I looked at. I went back and looked at the exact same data that they were using, and there was sure, sure, sure as there was, there was a five-fold increase between 1970 and the year 2000, and then there was a 10% decline thereafter. And we contacted the. Uh, curator of the data for this, uh, it, and she confirmed that it really wasn't an increase in disasters, but rather an increase in reporting. They were building out the stations through that 30-year period, and finally they've got the whole... So there, it was more places reporting and not actually more disasters, and we exposed that. They've never retracted that, though, mm. and that's what they do. They they they, they torture the data. to come, They come up with a, uh, their answer and then torture the data to fit it. Yeah, it kind of works like Jeopardy. Like, that's, that's what they do. They give you the answer first, and then they figure out what the question's supposed to be. Um, let's, go to, uh, let's go to COP27. This is a big, uh, a big climate gathering where, uh, you know, they're going to spend trillions of our dollars or attempt to to try to fix global warming. Every single speaker there was saying what a catastrophe we are in the middle of. You know, it was at least presented in the media as scientific consensus. This is happening. We need to, you know, spend all of this money to try to fix it. What went on there and what should we be afraid of? They ended up on the last day by agreeing to uh, pay basically reparations from the developed world to the developing world. Uh, bear in mind, China is included in that developing world, even though the largest by far emitter of carbon dioxide, the, the miracle molecule instead. It's not a demon molecule. And so they but what actually that was that was the report that came out uh, in the press but actually what they did was agree to meet again next year to discuss it. So nothing's actually occurred. Uh, but it looks like it, it may cost uh, $10 trillion a year in terms of mitigation strategies. Uh, Brazil on its own asked for $8 billion a year, which is just ridiculous for, for them. And, and what's, Stu, what I find, again, I, I go back and look at the details. I'm rubbing my hands together in glee here <laughs> because – Tuvalu was the was the island nation that was considered one of the most at risk. They took the lead on this reparations that they're going to be underwater in decades. Well, no one's talking about it, but 14,000 years ago, Tuvalu, the island, was barely above sea level. It's barely above sea level today. We've had 400 feet of sea level rise in that 14,000 years. Why isn't it underwater now? And why will another foot or two feet of water put it underwater? The answer is it won't, because it's a natural, it's called accretion. It's a natural geologic process. These islands 
grow along with sea level. And that's why we have these island nations, even after 400 feet of sea level rise. Uh, some, of, some of these islands over the last 14 or 15,000 years have succumbed and been overwhelmed. They're called seamounts. There aren't many of them. They're, they're submerged islands that couldn't keep up with sea level rise. There aren't many. Uh, but again, Tuvalu has been able to keep up with 400 feet. I think they'll be able to keep up with another eight inches or 12 inches of uh, by the year 2100, which is what it looks like it's going to be. Now, you'd think so. You'd think so. I, and I will say, n- no offense to the fine people of Tuvalu, but like when it comes to managing a global economy where we're going to be spending $12 trillion, I don't know that I necessarily want Tuvalu in charge of that. Exactly. And we. I also would, I think we've talked about this before, maybe it was a couple of years ago, so I'll, I'll remind you of it. The Maldives are listed by the UN as one of the most at-risk islands. It's in the Indian Ocean. Uh, that they're, they're looking for rep, 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 reparations. They've got their hand out. We want billions. Well, the Maldives, there are 14 resort complex hotels being built on, on, the, on the shore of the Maldives, along with three new airports. All of these financed by equity companies and insurance companies, these companies avoid risk like the plague. Why would they invest hundreds of millions of dollars if it's going to be underwater in a few years? The answer is they, they know it's not going to happen, and they know their, their money's not at risk. It is absolutely amazing. But there's so much money going around. Everyone's got their hands out. I'm, I'm curious what, what the more near-term future looks like, Gregory, because I, I'm looking at you know, what's going on in Europe right now with heating oil and the, and the, and the concept of, of, of how you keep your population warm as weather gets cold. We saw, you know, just, you know, Buffalo here this, this past week, uh, you know, six feet of snow falling. We're about to go through a brutal winter in Europe. And without the sort of resources that, uh, that these countries should have and could have if we would just actually use our natural resources, not only in Europe, but all around the world to help supply people who need to keep warm. We've decided instead to go the green direction. And now with all the problems with Russia and Ukraine, there's like a lot of people that are going to wind up just you know, either being cold or having to pay a heck of a lot more for their heating oil. What's going to happen with this? Russia-Ukraine situation has, has just accelerated what was going to happen eventually. Maybe we wouldn't get there in for another five or ten years, but that day of reckoning was going to come. Uh, again, this this has just accelerated it and exposed the fallacy of renewable energy being able to actually provide the electricity and energy needs for the world. It just can't happen. And this is all self-inflicted. We see uh, the country, United States really being the only country around the world that's doing uh, horizontal drilling and fracking. These others have banned it. Even though the United Kingdom is is lacking in natural gas, um, originally the, the former prime minister had had indicated that she was going to okay fracking and there was a turmoil and she resigned. Uh, it doesn't look like they're, they're going to open it up there. They need to. Uh, and again, with, with actions from countries like the Netherlands, the new demon molecule there is, is nitrogen that they're trying to do away with nitrogen fertilizers. Um, but these people, we're, there's three words we're looking at with this net zero economy. It's cold, dark, and hungry. That's the result of, of an attempt to reach net zero. I, I fear for Europe this year, uh, we need to get more uh, liquefied natural gas to Europe. They need to develop more of their, their own reserves, but that's a long-term process. 
Uh, we should be doing more here in the United States to free up our vast resources, in particular natural gas in the eastern United States. That We, we have virtually indescribably big uh, reservoirs. There, there are two megagiant gas fields in the east, and along with one supergiant, uh, that are barely scarcely being developed, and that's because the pipelines are at capacity. We could be supplying Europe with vast quantities of liquefied natural gas uh, out of the out of the gas fields of the eastern United States, uh, but it's being held up through uh, crazy environmental concerns about pi- pipelines. New Jersey, New York have banned pipelines, any new construction. Mm, it's unbelievable. Um, I know this isn't a, a two-minute answer, but we only have two minutes left here before you go. Can, can you explain to uh, the average person who's not followed this all that closely, what is going on with diesel? It seems like we have a real problem here. It's it's somewhat self-inflicted. It started a few years ago whenever EPA decided to lower the sulfur content of any gas or diesel sold in the United States. Uh, most of the refineries went ahead and retrofit. It was expensive to, go, to be able to produce this low sulfur. Uh, other refineries decided that uh, they, they couldn't afford it. They were just going to continue selling the higher sulfur quantities, but we'll sell it to Europe and around the world. Uh, so they're not allowed actually to sell it uh, into uh, the United States because it doesn't meet EPA requirements. Another problem there is that uh, instead of shipping diesel, we're exporting one million gallons a day of uh, diesel uh, out of the United States. Uh, if we stopped importing that, the argument goes, it would decrease prices. And that's probably, un- that's almost undoubtedly correct. Uh, the reason they're shipping them instead of pr- providing here in the United States, uh, these shipments of diesel uh, are required. They can't move it from one port to another because of the Jones Act, mm. uh, because it, it takes an American flag carrier and American crews, which are much, much more expensive. So some of these refineries have elected to ship it uh, outside of the United States instead of from uh, Louisiana to uh, North Carolina or New Jersey or wherever. Uh, and again, it's it's somewhat self-inflicted, and Joe Biden could get rid of the Jones Act this afternoon if he decided to. He could lift that, and that for a number of good reasons. But but the maritime lobby uh, is extremely powerful in Congress. It's amazing. The Jones Act is is the villain in so many different storylines, uh, but yet still it exists and it keeps going. We got to leave it there. Greg Wrightstone, he's the executive director of the CO2 Coalition. He's author of a great book. If you want to look for all the facts on global warming that Al Gore does not want you to know, he's got the book. It's called Inconvenient Facts. Make sure to pick it up if you haven't already. Greg, thanks so much for coming out back on the program. I appreciate it. Happy birthday, Mr. President. Happy birthday to you. He's 80. 80 years old. Yes, the president is 80. The first time any president has ever been 80. Do you remember how Ronald Reagan was portrayed by the media at 76, 77 years old? Uh, If you remember, of course, the very famous uh, Genesis Land of Confusion video where, and this is really more of a home design issue, but Ronald Reagan woke up in the middle of the night. He was really more of a puppet. He looked over. There are two buttons next to each other. He needed something from the nurse. One button said nurse. One button said nuke. And, of course, because he was old and incoherent, he pressed the nuke button and blew everybody up. 
Now, why you would design a home with two buttons, nurse and nuke, right next to each other is well, it's beyond me. It's, it's really an architectural problem more than anything else. But that was the case, and that's how Ronald Reagan was portrayed back in the day. It was hilarious. Ah, he was old, therefore he was forgetful and incoherent. Well, now we have a Democrat in a situation that is much, much worse than anything that even the late stages of Ronald Reagan, I mean, after he was out of the office, was probably better than what we have here. And no one seems to care. He's fine. He's 80 years old. He's going to be running for president in two years. Yay, everybody celebrate. Now, I will say, a lot of people say, well, we can't have anyone who's, who'd be president uh, who's that old. And I don't know if that's true. I don't know that it makes sense to put an age limit on this, as some people have suggested. If you look at, like, we had um, Alan Dershowitz on the program uh, last week. And Alan Dershowitz came on, by the way, to discuss a story that you probably missed, because I know I missed it, which was, it came out either election day or the day before or the day after. It was right around election day that he was essentially cleared from these accusations uh, that were made against him by the main accuser in the Jeffrey Epstein saga. Uh, said, listed a bunch of people like Prince Andrew and other uh, celebrities that she was supposedly, uh, you know, essentially rented out to in an awful, awful story. And uh, she, had, she, the actual accuser, came out and said, oh yeah, by the way, I, it might not have been Alan Dershowitz. And, you know, I don't know. I mean, now that I'm thinking about it, it was like really written like this. Like now that I'm thinking about it, it might not have been him. Oh, after a, oh, okay, oh, no big deal, no big deal. Wait, how long has it been since you've been accusing this guy of this thing? Oh, don't worry about it. Just, just uh, everybody, everything's fine. Everything's fine. Well, anyway, he came on the show, and he has a an incredible. And look, he's obviously one of the uh, best orators of our time in the legal field. He knows how to argue a case, but he is razor sharp, razor sharp. He's 84 years old. 84. So it's not that you can't be razor sharp when you're 80. It's just the fact that our president isn't razor sharp and he's 80. Our president wasn't razor sharp when he was 40 either, but he's much, much worse now than he was then. But congratulations. Happy birthday. That was my way of saying happy birthday, Mr. President. And then I, I climb out of a cake very slowly and seductively. So get ready for that. Coming up soon. Uh, Elon Musk has reinstated another president and his Trump, uh, his Twitter account, Donald Trump, well, I don't know. I mean, in theory, I mean, Donald Trump talked to us on election night and he said he was not going to go back on Twitter. So I don't know if he's going to. His, his account has been reinstated. So as all of his tweets are back up there, I guess in theory he could tweet, but he has not tweeted, at least as I've seen uh, as of yet. Um, but that's uh, apparently a big deal. And, and CBS had to uh, pause their Twitter account. They had to pause their Twitter account and just monitor the site on Friday to, to look for safety. Okay, they wanted to make sure everything was safe. And then on Sunday, they came back and they said, okay, it looks like it's safe. We're coming back in. We're going to continue to monitor this. All right. Nothing to do with them wanting clicks from their tweets. Nothing to do with that at all. It's not like it was a, uh, you know, a total scam to just try to get attention for themselves. No, no. They just were concerned about Twitter safety. So now we know that. Also back on Twitter, Kanye West. Yes, Kanye is back. Um, of course, you remember him going DEFCON 3 on Jewish people not too long ago. Um, apparently, apparently he did say something like Shalom today. So I guess he's, see, he's now, that's going really well. The Twitter thing I will say, 
not going all that well right now. Uh, it does seem a little strange. Again, I think the media gets out of uh, going crazy with uh, with all the things they're blaming Elon Musk for. They sh- he should be their favorite person in the world. He's there out there doing the global warming bidding for everybody. But that, apparently that's not enough to take on the greatest existential threat we have, global warming. Instead, he also has to be perfect on, tw- on social media. He's apparently not perfect uh, to the media's desires on social media. So he's now been kicked off. Uh, there you go. Uh, or he's now been he's now been booted from, I guess, the cool club of the of the left. But he is still on Twitter. Kanye's on Twitter. Donald Trump's on Twitter. Does that improve Twitter? I don't know. Twitter sucks. It, no matter what you do to Twitter, it's always going to be terrible. That's basically the bottom line. And finally, Bob Iger, in a really shocking move last night, named Disney CEO again. Uh, he uh, replaces his handpicked successor who had the job for two years. And I look. I don't care all that much about the ins and outs of this particular story. You know, I mean, I know uh, a lot of people who love the Ron DeSantis thing are saying, Haha, basically, you tried to take us on and now you're firing your 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 CEO got fired uh, that quickly. That's kind of a funny aspect of it that I like. It's interesting to see what would happen in the next couple of years to see what happens with the streaming industry as it develops. And that's all interesting. But I just want to focus on this one thing. Bob Iger is known as one of the most successful businessmen of all time. A lot of that has to do with timing. And did you know, because I don't remember this now, the, the last few years have been a bit, a bit of a blur, but the guy stepped down and named his chosen successor on February 25th, 2020. Now, some might note that not only were we days before a pandemic would wipe out the entire globe and every business would shut down, including all the parks in America, but also one might note that Bob Iger had a pretty significant amount of business dealings in China where the, the pandemic has, was already raging and, and shutting everything down. We had, at that point already, I think uh, Italy was well, you know, on their way of showing all the disasters that were going to go on there. And Bob Iger's like, you know, now feels like the day to step down from this park, uh, p- uh, uh, amusement park business that I run. And he gets credit for as a brilliant businessman. That is a brilliant businessman. Step down right before a pandemic. Let the pandemic wipe out your business and then come back on the other side and say, I can't believe this guy. I got to take over again. I mean, that you want to talk about you got a two year vacation to avoid pandemic years. You come back as the savior. I mean, this guy's brilliant. We often make fun of how dumb Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is, but we forget how terrible a person she is as well. And that's a really important thing to remember, especially this time of year. Uh, AOC is uh, trying to get political points by uh, on the backs of a bunch of uh, people who were shot in a terrible mass shooting, as she always does. Uh, she tweeted a bunch of stuff at uh, Lauren Boebert to try to make her feel bad about the shooting that she had nothing to do with. Uh, she says, because uh, Lauren Boebert said, um, this lawless violence needs to end quickly. Uh, the the, the, mor- uh, the morning uh, the victims are in uh, and, and their families are in my prayers. And AOC responded, "You don't get to thoughts your in prayers your way out of this. Look inward and change." Um, so uh, yeah, it's again this thing where like I guess prayer because it doesn't mean anything to someone who's godless. I guess they don't think it means anything. It means something to someone who's religious. If your th- if, if prayers are actually pretty important to people who uh, have faith. So 
I know that things like it seems like probably in your brain somewhere bouncing around. Uh, what is that garbage disposal? It's so scary and loud. Perhaps, at, you know, maybe in there somewhere you think this is a good point. It's not a good point. It's a terrible, terrible, terrible point, And you should abandon it immediately. Um, Lauren Boebert had nothing to do with the shootings. Uh, she supports legal gun use. Of course, that's why she said this illegal activity needs to cease immediately. And just so we're clear here, there's no conservatives who think this is a good idea. We, do we think that drag queen story hours for, for children is a, are a good idea? No, we don't think that. At the same time, I'm not going to kill anybody over it. Uh, don't, uh, not, not, not at all interesting. It's very, uh, seems like a very terrible response to, uh, to something like this. And anyone who would ever do such a thing is no, not only not a conservative at all, but is not a human being of any value. You know what I want for someone who comes in there and shoots up a bunch of straight people, gay people, drag queens, anybody, anybody who murders someone else. You know what I want? I want them dead. That's what we have a system that actually puts people like that to death. And I encourage it. When people admit to a, uh, a shooting like this, we know who it is. We're sure of it. Bye bye. See you later. Throw them in jail to forever and we never see them again or execute them. That's our system. That's what we do. And I am 100% support that. Uh, you are obviously human trash if you go in and try to c commit any sort of violent act against somebody, whether you agree with them or not. Everybody, every, every person knows this. But AOC doesn't care about the people who were shot in this particular incident or any other incident. She cares about herself and how many Twitter followers she can get out of it. That is, the, that is the cold calculation made by people like AOC every single day. It's pathetic, and it shows just what form of human being someone like AOC is. Okay, so here's what happened. Maggie Kiefer, she, is, uh, she works the front desk at the Circle C Dental in South Austin, and she came in to open up the store as she normally does. Uh, however, when she opened the door, she smelled something was totally off. Uh, just awful, foul, acidic smoke smell. She looked around, tried to figure out what was going on. You know, was it a, I don't know, a fire, a, a terrorist attack, who knows? Well, no, she goes in the back room, and she sees that the toilet has exploded. Now, when I say the toilet has exploded, it looks... I, it, we're showing a picture here on, on the TV broadcast, but if you're listening on podcast, I would describe it as like if you're watching a Looney Tunes uh, cartoon and like Bugs Bunny gave the coyote. Am I in the right? No, Roadrunner gave the coyote. Why would Bugs Bunny be in this? Roadrunner gave the coyote like a, uh, an explosive cigar and it just went off. And you know how it like leaves them all smoke? He's still alive, but you could tell it's still a toilet. But it looks like an Acme cigar went off inside of it. So what happened? Why would the toy? I mean, what incident led to this? Well, we don't exactly know. However, uh, they believe because of the way it showed that it was melted, they think that if lightning struck the toilet, it could explain the melting. Lightning can heat the air and it passes through uh, to 50,000 degrees Fahrenheit, five times hotter than the surface of the sun. The vent above the toilet was basically a black hole is how they described it. So they think that maybe lightning struck the building, it passed through this vent and then came down and it made the toilet explode. Luckily, there was no one going to the bathroom at the time. At least we don't think so. If there was, there would be nothing left of them. So we wouldn't even know. So if someone broke in that day because they really had to go number two, we lost them. And it's a sad, sad tragedy. So uh, there you go. Exploded toilet. Also, uh, let me show you this. This video is pretty amazing. 
It's video that someone took, uh, uh, they think it's in India, and it's a guy riding a bike, and you look at it and you're like, okay, it's just a guy riding a bike. But when you look pretty closely, he's riding the bike with not one, not two, not three, not four, not five, not six, not seven or eight, but nine of his children also aboard the bike. He somehow figured out a way to ride his bike with nine other people on it, some of them very, very small. Now, most of the kids, if they fell off, it would be a little a couple bumps and bruises. I am worried about the kids sitting in the front, though. That kid falls off the back. There's no way he's making it, uh, especially with eight people on the bike and you run him over. He's in serious trouble. I will say, that's just dad of the year type stuff right there to me. Everyone's like, Curtis, I can't believe this looks unsafe. This guy's a master. He was able to take nine of his kids and get them on a bike. I, can't, I mean, I have two kids and I can barely control them at all. Nine kids on a bike? That's incredible. This guy deserves a Father of the Year awards. And I will say, very difficult to ride your bike if you've just participated in a power hour. Yes, StuDoesPowerHour.com is the place to go. If you would like to come here and join us for a power hour in studio, it's Friday, December 9th, 2022, Christmas party power hour. Make sure to, uh, to sign up. Uh, you can watch it when it happens, but you can be here live when it does and participate as well. StuDoesPowerHour.com. Sign up now, StuDoesPowerHour.com. We'll see you tomorrow.